0: Welcome back everybody. It's Friday. And you know what time it is. Dom, how we doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing just great because we get to break down a fight that's well over a year in the making.
0: One of this the most true.
1: exciting fights of 2020.
0: This is true. Yes. This fight was supposed to happen basically to cap off 2019. Yeah. Pretty yeah. sure that was when it was originally scheduled, December 2019. Um, it ends up having to be rebooked, and here we are, almost a year later, and we're finally getting to see it.
1: Oh, it's going to be! You talk about beautiful chaos, buddy. This is the one.
0: And obviously, the fight we're talking about—it's been Dana uh, essentially said it's the number one contenders' fight here. Yep. As Brian T City Ortega is taking on the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. It's a huge fight.
1: Oh yeah, massive. Who is Volkanovski going to get next?
0: Yeah, and honestly like for I feel like a lot of people whoever wins this fight, they're going to be looking at them like they're the next champion because I think Volkanovski still has a lot to prove for his merit as a title holder. I agree. So I think a lot of people are looking at this matchup even closer now because not everybody is as high on Volk as champion, you know, the, the controversial decision over Max Holloway, things like that. So um, this this fight has a lot at stake, especially for someone like Brian Ortega, who we haven't seen in about two years.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm um, so not excited. All this ball, you know, he, got, he got beat up by Max Holloway in his last fight. Oh, yeah, his last fight was for the title. People are people forgetting that. I think people think that just because he took two years off, that that's like a negative. But it could have been just what he needed to come back in an even bigger way than he was before he took that hiatus.
1: Yeah, redid his uh, training camp and coaches and everything. So this could be the Ortega yeah. 2.0, as scary yeah. as he already
0: was yeah a whole new camp coming in for this fight so should be should be a lot of fun there we'll be breaking down that entire main card later on in today's episode it's episode 30 that's we it hit the, we hit we hit the next decade
1: my goodness gracious we're really just churning them <laughs> out
0: yes we are uh but we're gonna start with everyone's favorite segment
1: oh everyone's the news the news
0: we got a we yeah, we there, there's a lot here. Buckle in. Yeah, you know everybody go 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 cook you a little dinner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get light, you a little something to drink.
1: Glass of wine, light a candle, get the misses, get know. the mister, whoever. <laughs> Play us, t- turn us on the stereo, turn us on your phone, the speaker. Here we go. It's the news. Below baby. average
0: shows after dark.
1: Oh, that so. <laughs> I mean that's a date
0: if I've ever heard one. <laughs> so we're gonna start with our fight announcements here. Um, the first one happening, I believe it was just announced yesterday. Um, the guy who's basically been perhaps the the biggest, like the most talked about guy in the whole UFC in the past week, Mr. Joaquin Buckley. For those of you who may not, may be like, oh, what, where do I know that name from? <laughs> That's the guy with the incredible knockout, maybe the best knockout in UFC history that just happened a week ago. So he's got his next fight announcement here against Jordan Wright for November 21st.
1: What a tough task.
0: Yeah, so Dom, I want you to give your thoughts on this announcement.
1: Yeah, so I love it first off. Again, he's stepping in on November 21st. So the 255 card, um, which has been having a lot of trouble recently, it seems like. Just a lot of confusion around it. So uh, probably not a main card fight, but up in the prelims just because of all the hype. Maybe they even put it as the first fight on the main card just because of that kick. You really don't know. Yeah. But but this is great for Buckley. A guy that, um, if any of you have seen his recent interview that he did with Ariel Helwani, said that before this most recent fight, didn't even know if MMA was going to be his career. But That's now so all of a sudden, wild. he gets this kick, and he's all, all over the place. The most retweeted tweet, the most liked tweet, the most viewed tweet. He's on sports center number 1 out of the top 10 plays. Like this kick really changed his life. Uh, the bank account is sure to be going up. Uncle Dana <laughs> took care of that. I can only imagine. And um, now they're pairing him up with Jordan Wright, who I believe is 11 and 0 or something like that, undefeated if I'm not mistaken. A tough task, but they clearly love this kid. A lot of hype behind him off the kick. And again, Impa was also undefeated, I think and he we saw what he did to impa when we were high on him contender series vet won his ufc debut so i think matchup wise this is a great fight as well very exciting
0: yeah uh this is definitely a this is a tough fight for joaquin here um not that he hasn't shown that he's high level he's been very impressive throughout his career however He's a Bellator alumni, which I think is kind of a fun fact that people don't realize. Yeah. That Joaquin came from Bellator, had a two fight stint at LFA, which, as we know, LFA is kind of the triple A, if you will, to the UFC's major leagues.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So it's like guys just on the cusp of kind of reaching that legit status. Um, Wins both his fights there, comes over, loses his debut in the UFC. However, it was against Kevin Holland, and we know what a monster Kevin Holland is. Right. Got to the third round with him. I know that was a fight where um, I, I remember in that fight, Kevin just looked like he was more experienced. However, I saw a lot out of Joaquin in that fight and his composure because, I mean, he did ultimately end up getting finished in the third round, but the experience for Kevin Holland there like it just looked like they were on two different levels but i'd be interested to see that fight almost get run back down the line yeah i was gonna say the same thing because then joaquin's second fight is against impa and i mean spitting back kick one of the most incredible knockouts you'll ever see yeah but he's going up against a very tough opponent coming off such a such a momentum boost for him such a confidence boost for him he is 11-0, and 0 for Jordan Wright. Joaquin is 11-3. and 3. Um, Now, on the other end of this, Jordan, the Beverly Hills Ninja Wright. Wow. Uh, this is his second fight in the UFC. His debut was actually on the Munoz versus Edgar card, which we broke down, against Isaac Villanueva. He got the win in a minute and 30 seconds via Dr. Stoppage wow TKO.
1: the doctor stepped in that fast i'm concerned
0: (laughs) yep yeah so um he also had a no contest uh on tuesday night contender against anthony hernandez i don't know it was overturned by the state athletic commission so i'm not sure um if someone tested positive or uh, not sure what happened there uh we'd have to look more into that but he is undefeated. I believe he also has a, one of the things you like to mention, Dom, he has a 100% finish rate.
1: We love it. There's nothing better.
0: And it's pretty split for him. He's not only a guy that's going to knock you out, but he'll put you to sleep with a submission as well. As, I, as I'm as i looking here, he has five submission wins in his career, so that leaves him with six by TKO or KO. So Right. A guy who will finish the fight anywhere and everywhere. Also, hear this one: 100 percent finish rate, and all you know for 11 fight, it's 10 of those finishes first round.
1: Oh, so you're telling me we're in for an absolute slugfest?
0: I think so. Wow, someone's think, getting put uh, to sleep. I, and you know, I know Joaquin's got the um, the the hype right now, but um, man, this is a tough fight for him coming off what was. The highlight of his career so far. Uh, for most people's careers, it would have been. Yeah. Um, it's a very tough matchup for him to take. I'm happy to see him testing himself, though. And he was an underdog against Impa. And look what happened there. So who's to say it can't happen again?
1: Yeah. Maybe we'll get another uh, crazy KO.
0: Yeah. Either way. <laughs> so overall, this matchup is very exciting i i love it i i wish i i hope more people are made aware of jordan Wright by that time because this this dude's legit
1: yeah for sure even though he
0: doesn't have the name value of joaquin right now um if joaquin were to lose that's no slouch he's going to be losing to right do you have any other final thoughts on that matchup
1: broke it down perfectly my friend
0: oh uh another obviously we're in the fight announcement part of this uh segment the following week, on November 28th, it was announced that Lionheart Anthony Smith is back. On and a short notice. On, I... on short notice to go up against a rising prospect by the names of Devin Clark. Ooh. So I'll just start by saying I don't like this.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. So
0: <laughs> I don't like this for Anthony Smith. I don't like it one bit. Um, I think it makes all the sense in the world for Devin Clark to take this fight. But for Anthony, he's coming off back-to-back just brutal losses. And neither, you know, he just lost, what, a month ago?
1: Yeah, it wasn't long ago uh, to uh, Alexander Rakich.
0: Yeah, and when he lost to Glover, it was just a couple months before that. Yeah. So that's two brutal beatings in, like, the span of less than six months.
1: Yeah, I really wanted him to take a break for the rest of the year, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And this is the end of November, so, we, you know, we're talking right now, this is, we're still in mid-October.
1: Yeah, about what, so six weeks out? Still
0: away. Yeah, still a ways away, but, um, you know, it, this is just a this really i'm really surprised what this comes off to me is that anthony smith you could tell by his post-fight uh interview in his last fight that he his confidence was at an all-time low yeah he was even talking about going back down in weight because they were too big at light heavyweight stuff like that so it's obvious that he's uh you know lost some confidence in these last two performances so, to me, this comes off like a guy who's desperate to get that back. So, he's willing to go down a level in competition in his mind. Yeah, I mean, we're talking number you know, six out-
1: ranked Anthony Smith. Devin Clark, on the other hand, is not yet ranked in the light heavyweight division. No. Nope. So, a lot Devin- for Anthony to lose here. And not so much yeah. to gain, in my opinion.
0: No, Devin Clark must have must be just giddy right now. because Oh, yeah. I mean, this literally, if he wins this, I mean, I'm not saying they'll put him at number six, but... Oh, I mean, he'll be top 12,
1: I'd have to imagine. Yeah,
0: that's that's wild, because his UFC record for his career is um, six and four. So not, like, the most impressive there. However, three of those four losses are to the following. Ryan Spann, Alexander Rakich newly crowned champion, Jan Blachowicz.
1: Yeah, Devin Clark, If we have not broken down a fight of his, but he has made plenty of appearances in the nitty-gritty when we're breaking down fights as either a notable win or a notable loss. So this guy's for real.
0: And then he's got some wins over Mike Rodriguez, who we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, Daquan Townsend, another one we've talked about. And Alonzo Menafield at UFC 250, who just lost to Ovid St. Preux not too long ago. So, I don't like this for Anthony. Devin Clark uh, is 30 years old, hitting his prime right now. He's on a two-fight win streak, you know, before that losing to Ryan Spann. So, um, he's got the momentum here. I, you know, it's it's a dangerous fight. I, I understand why Anthony's doing it. I just don't like it. Yeah. And... We could be seeing kind of Anthony's... I mean, I don't want to get too uh, dramatic, but if Anthony loses this, uh, he might be done as far as being a top-10 level guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like a loss here could maybe confirm that he should try 185 again. Even though, theoretically, like, Anthony... Obviously, he's on a two fight skid now, but he was better at light heavyweight than he was at middleweight. You know what I mean? So he's really yeah. in a tough spot right now, man. And a real fan favorite guy, you hate to see it.
0: I agree. You hate when you see, you know, like you've seen, we've seen it with a lot of guys in the past. It's not like Anthony's the first one, and he's not going to be the last one. But you just really want him to like try to, like, you want to see him persevere here it's just a very risky fight to take when you're essentially fighting for what's left of your career at this point.
1: Yeah, right. Because his career hit
0: such a high, when he moved to light heavyweight, his career was completely taken to a new level.
1: And it was still at a high even when he lost to John Jones, really, because, I mean, yeah, he got dominated, but he also could have taken the easy way out and won the belt via disqualification chose not to people loved him for that then goes on to beat gustafson like so he was still on that high and now all of a sudden he's back down to earth so
0: yeah it was kind of kind of came and went very fast almost like a flash in the pan as they call it which I, i don't know if anybody really thought anthony smith would be champion but I mean, he's not out of the picture yet, just because a couple brutal losses. I mean, in that Glover fight especially, he looked very good early on.
1: Yeah. And we're talking about a guy see. that's still only 32 years old, which is just crazy to think about, considering his next fight will be his 50th pro fight.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that is pretty nuts. So I don't know. I'm. I mean, I'm excited to see the fight but I'm also nervous to see it. Not that I'm like some... I mean, you're definitely the bigger Anthony Smith fan out of the two of us. But I'm still nervous for it just because after the, both of those losses that he's had, they're just brutal to watch. Yeah. And, you know, I just... I, I I'm concerned that we could be seeing something similar, but who knows?
1: Only time will tell.
0: Yeah, so... I guess we'll leave that one there. And then our next fight announcement is for December 12th. This is for the big show to end the year, UFC 256. I'm likely going to be on the main card here as Jacare Souza is going back down to middleweight, right, for this fight? Or no, is this at like uh,
1: This will be middleweight.
0: Yeah, so he's going back down the middleweight to take on the rising top fifteen guy, Marvin Vittori,
1: the Italian Dream, guy, brother.
0: Yeah, i a guy that a lot of people love, um, Jacare, a guy who, at one time, you could have argued should have been fighting for a title.
1: Yeah, I mean he's he like he's on that everybody. list of. Sorry, uh I, I cut you off even more when I can't see you, um, but he's like right on that list of top fighters that never fought for a ufc title yeah
0: he, he for sure i mean there, you could definitely have made art he should have been fighting for a title yeah back in that like 2016 2017 range um but where we are now with him is he's at a bit of a crossroads i think that's fair to say oh yeah he's, he's lost his last two fights both by decision once to uh, jack Hermanson. Then he moved up to light heavyweight and lost split decision to Jan Blachowicz. Pretty awful fight that one was. But he still got one of the judges' scorecards. So here he is going back down to middleweight. Um, Kind of interesting. I'm not sure why he was so... I don't know why he moved up just to move back down. I mean, I know it was a really bad fight, but I didn't think he... It's so not like he got knocked out or anything like that. So I'm curious, Dom, which kind of your thoughts are here, because on the other end, you got Marvin Vittori, who everybody seems to be big on right now because he's just had a lot of bad luck with not being able to get enough fights, stay active enough because people keep dropping out.
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh,
0: he's 15-4-1. He's, t- he's probably the closest to beating Israel Adesanya outside of Kelvin Gastelum. Split decision loss to him. So, yeah, give me your thoughts on this matchup.
1: Yeah, I mean, Marvin's the number 14th ranked middleweight right now. He's on a three-fight win streak. He puts on really great performances, never in a boring fight. Um, I was calling for him to fight Hamzat at one point. You know, I think this is a good fight. It's by far the biggest name that Marvin could get on his resume. And honestly, like if Marvin were to get this win here, I'd love to see him fight a guy like Edmund Shabazian, to be honest with you. I think that's an incredible matchup. Ooh. Edmund was the hype train coming off of that loss, so he's kind of back down to earth, reevaluating his camp. In the meantime, we've got Vittori, who wants to be active, but like you said, he's not getting fights. But now he's taking on Jacare, which is, again, the biggest name that would be on his resume this far. And um, even though Jacare's not ranked... We all know how much of a legend he is of mixed martial arts. So, no matter if there's a number next to his name or not, Marvin will move up the rankings if he were to get a win here, which is no easy task, by the way. Jacare, by all means, could still come back to the middleweight division and get a win and be right back in there.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind for Jacare that he is a top 15 level middleweight. Um, He was top 15 when he left the division. That's why he's unranked right now because – he didn't ultimately make too much of an impact at light heavyweight, so but he'd already been removed from the middleweight rankings. So now he's coming back down. It's kind of that same story of just kind of that awkward time frame where they've already removed them, so they're not going to add him back. But um, this is a big fight for both guys. But Tori again, he's number fourteen at middleweight, really trying to establish himself here as like a top ten type guy. And then for Jacare, he's at the tail end of his career. He is uh, 40 years old. So he he is quite a bit older than his opponent here. As Vittori is 27. So pretty big age difference there. But Jacare has uh, shown in the past that age is not really something that <laughs> affects him too much. Yeah. He has shown quite an ability to turn back the clock. However, his last couple of performances have not necessarily showed that same that same jockey. That same spring in a step. That same level of aggression in his strikes. The power in his strikes. He's looked a little slower. Will that carry over here? Time will tell, but this is a, a good test for him.
1: Yeah, I, l- I love that fight. Stylistic-wise makes sense for that division, it should be the main card. That, that We were actually talking about this before um, we started recording, and this is going to lead us into our next bullet for the fight announcement section, but um, December 12th is all of a sudden shaping up to be a very solid card to uh, finish out the year. Or at least, there's a fight night after it, but a, a solid pay-per-view, as a, the last pay-per-view of the year, I should say.
0: Right. And I, I, I think this is a great platform for both of these guys to be on. Um, for Vittori, it's kind of his biggest exposure yet, not just with the opponent, but probably being on the main card of a pay-per-view. Um, for Jacare, he's kind of been out of sight, out of mind for a while, and a lot of fans' uh, minds. Um, so for him, this would be a big win for him to kind of get back on track and look to reestablish himself at middleweight i love the matchup yeah i can't deny it but as you said that'll that'll take us into our final fight announcement here and we saved the best for last oh yeah we have a new we have a new co-main for ufc 256 for the bantamweight title it's the fight that we were all nervous wouldn't actually happen but it's officially booked Pewter Jan, the bantamweight champion will be defending against al sterling the obvious number one contender and i'm just gonna start by saying you know my worries about tj dillashaw maybe being thrown in there i think we found out that wasn't the case because i i think now what it appears is the ufc probably wanted to see how marlon marais yep performed and since he obviously lost it made sense that Aljamain's the guy i think they were putting a lot of value on Marlon's knockout win over Aljamain from a couple years ago, which makes sense. I will say it. It makes sense. But Marlon ends up losing to a guy that Aljamain beat easily. So it was an obvious matchup. Aljamain's definitely the number one contender. Dom, I know you've been pining for this matchup for a long time. So I'll let you give your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's the fight we all wanted. It's the fight that makes the most sense. Um, now with Marlon not ranked number one anymore, Aljo is the clear-cut number one guy. This fight is a fantastic stylistic matchup, standing on the feet and in terms of grappling and jiu-jitsu on the ground. You can't really get a much better matchup, um, and they're both in their primes right now. This is the perfect time for them to be matched up with one another. Again, to be the co-main under the greatest women's fighter of all time, and Amanda Nunes, last pay-per-view of 2020, finishing out the year with a bang. I love this fight. Excuse me. I love this fight. I love everything about it. And really, I had Aljamain as my champion, you know, next year in that episode. If you guys haven't seen our One Year From Now champion episode, be sure to check that out. But Aljo is who I predicted to be the champ around this time next year and it could all start in december my friend
0: yeah no you're completely right it's it was the obvious matchup to make and i'm glad that the ufc finally made it official um this is going to be big for peter yawn as well because it's a way for him to really establish himself and prove that he is not just some i've heard the term paper champ thrown around a lot Which, considering people didn't really look at Jose Aldo as a legitimate title contender, at this point, when he beat him at UFC 251. So, he still has a lot to prove, even though he is the champ. And what better way to prove it than to get a win over someone like Aljamain Sterling. Sterling, a guy who, I've been saying for years, could be a huge star for this company. He's got the look, he's got the style, he's got the personality, he's got the talent. So, a big fight here. And I think it's great to kind of put them as a co-main. You got them under the women's GOAT going up against Megan Anderson. So this card's really starting to look real nice.
1: Oh, yeah, dude.
0: So do you have any other final thoughts on this matchup?
1: I'm just so happy it's finally announced. Nothing to worry about anymore. And uh, that Bantamweight division's really at the highest point I think it's ever been at. And especially with TJ coming back, potentially fighting Corey Sanhagen for a number one contender spot. I love where that division is right now.
0: Completely agreed. But that's the end of our fight announcements. so we're going to move on to the rest, as we call it. Essentially just everything else newsworthy that's going on across MMA as a whole. Um, I think a good starting point here, Is going to be actually a segue from these last couple, this last point about uh, UFC 256. And now we have two title fights there. 255, the month prior, is also going to have two title fights. Brett Okamoto put a very interesting tweet out because there's obviously the ongoing saga that is Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Brett Okamoto puts a tweet out saying that. Uh, do you want to give, uh, you might know it better off the top of your head.
1: Um, so basically not word for word here, but the point behind his tweet was, and this is coming off of Connor tweeted that he accepted to fight Dustin on January 23rd. Um, so obviously of 2021, that's not in 2020. um, And that's because the UFC would not budge from that date. Conor wanted to fight in 2020. Dustin wanted to fight in 2020. The UFC said no. We went out to ESPN. We got you a date just for you, but you have to wait until January 23rd of next year. So, essentially, Brett's tweet was, people are upset, but UFC used to cater to Conor and do anything he wanted, right, when he was in the midst of his hype train at the top of the world. And people would get mad about it. But now, all of a sudden, the UFC is essentially standing their ground and giving Conor an ultimatum, saying, you're either fighting January 23rd or there's no fight at all. And now people are mad that they wouldn't move around championship fights or they wouldn't make their own pay-per-view for Conor or they wouldn't throw him in as a main event and have a championship fight co-main for him. So, essentially, his tweet is just, you know... (laughs) What side of the fence are you on? You used to get mad because they catered to him, but now you're mad that they're standing their ground and not catering to him. So that's essentially the the story behind everything there.
0: Yeah, so thank you for summarizing there because that is really what this point is all about is that I completely agree with Brett's sentiment here. Yeah. It's, it's – as much as we love MMA, as much as we love watching the UFC – Sometimes it can be very frustrating because of the fan base of MMA and of the UFC is the most fickle of all major professional sports. And what I mean by that is you really can never please, like like everybody seems to be so opinionated.
1: Yeah, and I'm guilty MMA, of this, or I mean... You know, I feel like we're all guilty of it time or time again. It's just so hard, you know, to be a fan of this sport, you know. Like, how so? Just, um, we want to play matchmaker, and we want these fights to happen, but then if it doesn't happen, we get mad. But then other times a fight we never thought happened happens, and we're like, what, this fight makes no sense. So it's just, it's so much different when it's individuals, and you want certain people to fight certain people. Whereas for other sports, you know, you have a favorite team and they have a set schedule. You know who they're going to play. You can't change it. You know what I'm saying? So I just think, like, we're all guilty of it to some extent. And, of course, you and me try our best now, especially to be as centered and unbiased as possible. So I was just kind of throwing my two cents in.
0: Yeah, you're right. And I I guess it's just – it just seems like you can never, like – As far as, like, for the UFC, they can never really please the fan base. That's what I'm kind of getting at as far as being fickle, is, like, they're always mad about something. I'm not saying that it's not warranted. But in this situation, this just completely is showing kind of that side of things where there is a bit of irony to people being upset. Because if the UFC caved to what Connor was saying about 2020 and literally moved champions from the date that they had signed for, from the date that they had been training towards, even maybe placing them under him on the card. What does that say about your champions? Right.
1: And I, Dana I, said as much. Yeah, I really feel like you know, we all you know, love Conor or hate Conor. Everybody wants to see him fight. But I really think the UFC made the right call here. In the, in the best, for everyone type situation. So now Connor and Dustin can have their own date, build a card around them, instead of oh, Connor and Dustin, we're gonna throw you here, champion. Sorry about it, but it's Conor McGregor. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just yeah. think it benefits everybody. Um, I I really think it's the best decision with everything being already set in stone for the UFC and so many fights already made. This just made the most sense and like. What a way to start twenty twenty one! Like Connor started twenty twenty, and now right. you're gonna have him starting twenty twenty one. So you know, I just think it makes a lot of sense.
0: I agree. I I will say that I was on board with if, if it was if it was all it was gonna take to get the fight done. I was all for the UFC creating its own another card. Yeah, two weeks after two fifty six, um, if that was what it was going to take because ultimately this is a fight that I actually really want to see so sure why not but the UFC has never been on board with doing non-title fights above title fights even if it is Conor McGregor it's happened one time in the history of the UFC And that was 196, which, again, was originally scheduled to be Um, Conor McGregor going for his champ-champ status against Rafael De Underneath them, Holly Holm, newly crowned women's bantamweight champion, defending for the first time against Misha Tate. Right. Well, unfortunately, RDA has to pull out of the fight less than two weeks before. Who steps in? Nate Diaz. Fight gets moved up the welterweight. They do a couple press conferences to get people more excited. That fight's still the headliner above the not the title fight, but it was more it, under, it was more understandable there because you know it, it just it made sense at the time just because you had a fighter pulling out within two weeks of their fight, so it was already a bit of a mess the ufc won't does not like to do it and i and i like that they don't do that yeah value your champions stick exactly. by your champions but i digress i just wanted to i just thought it was a good idea for us to touch on this because i think this is kind of a point i've been wanting to make for a while just the irony sometimes like people don't i don't know if uh, when people are fans of something like it doesn't even have to be just the ufc they, they can't really see things from another perspective a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like they're so opinionated and so invested that what they're saying is scripture and anything said otherwise is like a personal attack or is like completely idiotic. And sometimes there's just that irony of like, well, you would have been, if, I, like, if I would have been talking, like, let's say you were like that. And I said, Dom, I want to see Connor McGregor and Dustin Poirier fight above a title fight. And you could be like, well, that's the stupidest thing ever. Don't you know that Dana doesn't do that? And that's, you should value your champions, blah, blah, blah. But then this situation arises And you come back and tell me, yeah, I hope, since Connor wants it to be in 2020, I hope they just put him above, like, Amanda Megan or something like that. It's like people don't have enough self-reflection to see the irony sometimes in what they say.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So I just thought it was a good idea to talk about it. But we'll get into the rest of the Connor News and Dustin News a little bit later, probably to wrap up this news segment. But moving on from there, we had a fighter get released from the UFC.
1: Yes, sir. They'd literally As right before today, we hit the record button.
0: <laughs> and his name is uh, James Vick. So what a interesting career James Vick has had. He came in with quite a bit of hype around him. Started off very strong in his UFC tenure. Unfortunately for him, he, I don't know if it, I don't know what you want to call it. He's had a melting pot of factors kind of go against him. Mm -hmm. One being that he just can't, his chin can't hold up, it seems. Two, he's had some injury problems. Three, he's talked some shit in these fights that he's ended up being knocked out in which always kind of blows up in your face.
1: I.E. Justin Gaethje.
0: Yeah. Um, Basically, he's on a four-fight losing streak. He was 13-1. and Then he gets knocked out by Gaethje. Then he loses a decision to Paul Felder. Great fight that one was, though. Then he gets knocked out by Dan Hooker. And then that KO upkick by Nico Price. Um, Three of those four, all three of those knockouts... We're in the first round. None of them went above two minutes and thirty seconds. So, you know, it it seemed like this was kind of an inevitable direction. Uh, James just—it's kind of unfortunate. Like some of these knockouts were kind of bad luck. The Nico Price one—he was looking good, and then he gets hit with an up kick, and he's just out cold. Like what can you really do about that, you know?
1: Yeah, how often do you see an upkick knockout, you know? Right.
0: But, you know, he's he's still only thirty three years old. He's got a lot of talent. You have to believe that whichever promotion signs him, it's gonna be a pretty big signing for him.
1: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: Do you have any predictions on where he might go? Uh,
1: I mean, I could definitely see him being a fit with Bellator. Um, Honestly, a guy like Vic, who's, like, known to put on really good fights, I wouldn't be surprised if he signed with somebody like Bare Knuckle, to be completely honest with you. I wouldn't suggest that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, that he would be a great fit for an organization like Bellator, especially now that they're on the bigger stage with CBS Sports and everything. Um, And he's still got it. He's just not – at the tier to fight the top-level UFC guys at this point anyway. Not to say he can't turn it around, but it's just looking like it's probably over with in terms of with the UFC.
0: Yeah. Um, a promotion that stuck out to me, but right now doesn't seem very realistic because they're not putting on shows, was like the PFL. Mm-hmm. Just seemed like kind of the route he could maybe take there. Obviously, there's a, or you're talking about all the big promotions that aren't the UFC. Bellator, 1FC, Ryzen, I mean, PFL, the list goes on. So no doubt he's going to bounce back and end up somewhere. But he's been pretty inactive. I mean, his last fight was October 2019, so that's a year. Right. Understandable, because he had three fights in 2019. He lost all three of them, two of them by first-round knockout. That even capped off his 2018 with the knockout loss. So I understand him wanting to take time off, but, you know, it, when's the last time you really thought about James Vick, you know? It, his last fight. <laughs> but two years ago, he was probably close to a top 10 guy. Yeah. On the cusp, if you will, of being a top 10 well, guy. Well, I mean, that
1: fight with Gaethje at the time was huge. Like, top five well, contender in. situation type status.
0: He, he stepped in uh, late notice for that one, if I remember correctly. Yeah,
1: and he he had a lot of trash talk toward Justin. Justin did not yeah, like he that.
0: Really
1: yeah, it really blew up in his face, didn't it? Oh, yeah. It was um, one of those moments where the trash talk gone bad <laughs> type, type it was deal. It like at
0: this moment. At this moment, he knew he fucked up. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that was when uh, Gaethje's fist was flying toward his face.
0: <laughs> but all in all, we wish the best for James. We'll, we'll update as his decision is made. Um, hopefully here within the next week or so, he'll probably decide where he's going to be going. And it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a fight booked at that new promotion pretty much right away. Right. Next news segment... We're going to go to another promotion for a couple of these. Bellator, as we've already mentioned. First being that they have signed a big prospect. Yes, very big. By by the name of Magomed Magomedov. So, Dom, do you want to tell the people why this is such a big deal for Bellator?
1: This is a, a very big prospect. Of course, had to be on the UFC's radar, I can only imagine. He is 16-1. and His only loss of his pro career has came to the bantamweight champion of the world for the UFC, and that's Pewter Jan. But don't get it twisted, my friends, because the only loss of Pewter Jan's career is to (laughs) Magomed Magomedov. Funny how that works, huh, my friend?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So this is a huge prospect, very young. Again, 16-1. and a guy that I would have loved the UFC to get, and especially like imagine a trilogy way down the line in the UFC with him and Peter Jan. But anyway, he's with Bellator, a very big <laughs> signing for them, a guy that can go right into that bantamweight uh, pool that they have and really probably start making some noise with his first fight.
0: I agree. He's, from, he's another one of those guys that trains out of Dagestan, so you know that he's legit. It yeah. seems like every fighter coming out of that camp, down in dagestan they're just so crisp everywhere so technical just monsters and him being a bantamweight he's 5'7 28 years old young guy still um seven submission wins four ko wins so he's a guy that can get a fight not only get you down but he'll finish you as well um i i i definitely was Upset a little bit that the UFC weren't able to sign him, but for Bellator, this is pretty big. I'm oh. not sure, you know. A lot of Magomed's fights, now the Peter Yan fights are even at their time being 2016, 2017. That's a big, it's high level of competition. But you know, a lot of these other fights, they were happening at regional shows in Moscow, essentially. So. Now he, if he's you know now he's signed with Bellator, he's going to be fighting on a much more global scale, much more global pool talent. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how his career, how how fast his career takes off, if it does at all. Because uh, I think he's like legit, and I'm a big fan, and I I think he's going to be a guy that we're going to be seeing as a title holder at Bellator, and hopefully someday come to the UFC, but if not he can be another one of those Bellator guys that just makes a big impact there like Michael Chandler did things like that so um, big signing for them big move I would say to be able to take him out from under the UFC's like grasp essentially
1: yeah and especially being that he never even was in the UFC to begin with so that you know they right. got him first type of deal
0: yeah it's just another one of these uh, it's a thing that Bellator should focus more on and that's Developing their own talent. Right. Instead of
1: getting these veterans from other organizations, that's where they could really establish their brand more by building up their own superstars rather than taking um, older, not washed up, but just kind of like over-the-hill superstars from like the UFC, for example. And then they thrive in Bellator. But now they can have the veterans and bring in their own talent, which is great for them.
0: Agreed. The other um, news story out of Bellator is there was a pretty big fight that happened there a long time ago. And um, that was Fedor Emelianenko, who at the time had was the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Yeah. A guy who dominated Pride, a guy who had dominated everybody. He literally had only lost one fight, it was due to a doctor stoppage where he got a cut above his eye that wasn't even bad, but it was in like a different country. It was you know some shady shit going on there. So, relatively speaking, a guy who was unbeaten, he goes up against Fabrizio Verdum and Fabrizio at this point in time, because I want to say this first fight happened around 2011. Or so.
1: Yeah, it's been a but minute.
0: Fabrizio at this point was a guy who had fought in the UFC, but wasn't like, was essentially a journeyman. He got cut from the promotion in the UFC. Um, then he goes to Strike Force, where he wins two straight, one of which against Bigfoot Silva. Then Strike Force holds him versus Fedor. And it's looked at as Fedor is going to run right through him. But Fabrizio gets the triangle armbar submission in just over a minute.
1: Shocked the world.
0: Yeah. One of the biggest upset losses ever. Such a monumental win for Fabrizio's career. It essentially injected a lot of life into his career. That was kind of running into a, a crossroads at the time. And now they're talking about running it back in Bellator. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, Dom. Um,
1: uh, two guys that are in similar uh, situations in their career, similar, uh, you know, wins and losses and just same ages. It, it makes a lot of sense. Fabricio just had his contract in with the UFC with his most recent fight. He took out Alexander Gustafson in his heavyweight debut, which was very impressive. Tapped him, I think it was under two minutes. It was rather quick. So Fabricio, for being... You know, 40, above the age of 40, I believe at this point, has still got it in him. One of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners we've seen at the heavyweight division across all organizations that he's been in. Fedor's a pioneer, no matter what way you want to look at it. Why not run it back, man? And that could be a huge fight for Bellator to put on. They love putting on big heavyweight fights over there.
0: Yeah, they do, and I I, I have to respect that on their part because it, it does feel like a big deal, even if it's these guys that are Again, if this fight were to happen in the next few months, Fabricio's 43, is 44. So they're out of their prime. But they're two huge names in the history of mixed martial arts. And I would be very down to see this matchup. I, I really don't care to see either of these guys fight anybody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect way to put it. I think it's just kind of a perfect matchup for both of them at this point in their career.
0: Yeah, I mean, Fedor is coming off a win, but it was back in December 2019. He did get a TKO win over Rampage Jackson. But then you kind of look before that, like Ryan Bader knocked him out in like 35 seconds. So the once untouchable, the, the last emperor, as his nickname is, He's not quite that anymore, understandably, but he's still very high level. And I think it would—I just think it makes a lot of sense at this point in their careers. Like, they're both inevitably probably only going to have a couple fights left if—if if they make it even that far. Why not just do something fun? Match them up against each other. You can have a headline a show, obviously.
1: Probably still a uh, rather big payday too. I'd have to imagine.
0: Yeah, and I think that the show would do very well. But I guess we'll see on that. I know they're also... Uh, Scott Coker has even mentioned wanting to do... Uh, I believe it was Fedor versus Brock Lesnar. <laughs> yeah. I uh, can't say I, I will ever see that happening at Bellator. But uh, just funny that he seemed... They seem to really still want to give Bell, uh, Fedor like a... I don't know if it's kind of like a... Is it a send-off, like you know? Yeah, like a send-off or... Because, you know, Fedor has already retired, I believe, once or twice in his career. So, you know, he has to be about done. Guy's fought everywhere. He's done everything you can imagine outside of fighting in the UFC, funny enough. Right. um, Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it, though, if it happens. That'd be a card I would actually seek to watch. Oh, yeah, 100%. And then next news story here. Back to the UFC. Um, we seem to be talking about this guy a lot lately, Hamzat Chimaev, a guy who just took, took the MMA world by storm. And now we're just kind of sitting here. It's like the calm before the next storm right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. No one wants to
0: fight this man. Yeah. Yeah. And And it's obvious he's getting a top 15 opponent.
1: They want him to
0: headline a card. Yeah. They want him to headline a card. Give him a top 15 opponent, but nobody wants to accept it. There's one person in particular that's very uh, very much saying, I want this fight. Yes. And who is that, Tom?
1: Mr. Neil Magny himself. And wow, what a fight and what a matchup this would be. This is rumored to be or I guess I should just say Hamzat in general as a headliner is rumored to happen the very last card of the year, which is a fight night, December 19th, a week after UFC 256. They're looking at both divisions, welterweight and middleweight. No one wants him. Mr. Neil Magney, number 10 ranked, if I'm not mistaken, in that welterweight division has come out and he is game because no one wants to fight Neil Magney. And we know Hamzat will fight anybody. Two guys, they want to fight each other. No one else wants to fight them, and that's an easy main event sell. Neil Magny's been in a main event before, so uh, could easily do it again, especially with a guy like Hamza. This is a great fight. I really hope that's what gets finalized.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a uh, it's a good test for Hamza because Neil Magny is no no joke. That guy has uh, been there, done that with the best of them. He's a veteran at this point in his career, but he's still in kind of the prime, that athletic prime of his career, so he's still really reaching that full potential. While Hamzat's just, I mean, it's the Pandora's box. You know, we don't know, we truly still don't know how, like, what heights this guy is going to reach. So I, I, I don't care who he's fighting, honestly. I just want to see him fight. Exactly. And for it to be someone like Neil Magny, who seems to be very interested in the opportunity and, and like hungry for it makes it that much better rather than it being someone like Wonderboy who doesn't want the fight. as like someone that's really wanting it and is therefore going to be hopefully more motivated.
1: And there's more to lose it. here than to gain. So for him still wanting to take this challenge, I think is says a lot about Neil Magny.
0: I agree. I, I agree in, in a sense, but at the same time, Who's the bigger name in MMA right now?
1: Right, right. That's where it is kind of like, yeah, that is so true, really, but at the same time, it's not true. It's just kind of the way you look at it type thing. If
0: Neil beats him, that guy, I guarantee that they will likely give him someone in the top six, five. That's a huge win to take off maybe the biggest prospect the UFC's ever really seen as far as in this amount of time. Right. Um, so... I understand that it's the rankings argument of why would someone take that fight if they're coming off of a win or whatever. But when you're talking about a guy who's literally one of the biggest names in the sport right now, or one of the hottest names in the sport, why not? It worked for Derek Brunson to take that fight with Shabazian.
1: Yeah, that's a very good um, comparison.
0: Yeah. So... And this is even more so than Shabazi, and yeah, yeah,
1: hundred percent.
0: But I, I like that Neil's thinking that way, and I, I hope that's the matchup they make. If it's not, and it's someone like, I mean, gosh, there's so many people on this list. I mean,
1: especially when you're talking about a guy that can fight in two weight classes.
0: Yeah, I mean, even a guy like Anthony Pettis or someone like that would be nuts. Just, but I think the fight that's going to be made is him and Neil Magny. I think now we're just waiting for the confirmation. Exactly. So we'll finish up here with just a couple more. These are kind of the big news stories, I guess. I'm going to let you talk quite a bit on this one. Dan Hooker versus Nate Diaz.
1: Yeah, that's it. On to the next one. No, uh, (laughs) this is interesting and something that really kind of came out of left field. So Nate Diaz randomly... I don't know if it was a tweet or Instagram or both. He uploads a video of Dan Hooker knocking out Gilbert Burns when Gilbert was still at the lightweight division. If you don't know, Gilbert Burns is the number one contender getting ready to fight Kamaru Usman for the welterweight title. So Diaz randomly uploads this and then essentially says, or, uh, then Israel Adesanya actually comments on it and says something uh, good about Hooker because Israel and Dan Hooker are teammates um, in Auckland, New Zealand at City Kickboxing. And then Diaz responds back to Izzy and says, yeah, your boy is the number one contender at welterweight right now. Basically just taking a shot at Gilbert Burns for no reason other than the fact that this is Nate Diaz. So I'm not really surprised. But then Dan Hooker's like, oh, um, let's fight. And so then Nate Diaz is like, 165 question mark. And then Dana White comments on an Instagram post and says never, that they're never going to do a 165-pound division. Long story short, <laughs> Dan Hooker and Nate Diaz seem to want to fight each other all of a sudden. This is a matchup that I never saw coming and a matchup that I really love
0: to see. Yeah, I, I agree. I This definitely came out of left field so much so that i don't think it's gonna happen <laughs> not to be not to try to piss on the pissing your cheerios or in the fans cheerios but i i see why dan hooker would want this fight oh yeah i mean i mean talk about a guy dan hooker still very underrated considering that he is a that top echelon of lightweights
1: Dan Hooker is a fantastic fighter and striker to say the least yeah
0: while Nate Diaz is one of the biggest names in the entire sport one of the biggest stars hasn't been super active over the last few years but appears to be kind of I mean he's been more active as of late he's fought twice in the last what I guess he's fought once a year in the last two years essentially yeah so, I don't think this is going to happen because I don't know if Nate will really take a fight with Dan Hooker. I just don't know if I foresee that when he could potentially be looking at Mosby again down the line. And
1: I'm still waiting know. on the Connor Nate trilogy. Diaz,
0: Nate Diaz doesn't really think like that, though, does he? He's he's a fighter. He doesn't really. Yeah, he just he doesn't really
1: like. For example, here, like if he thinks you're a good fighter, he's gonna basically come out and say it. And if he thinks you suck, he will also come out and say it. So that's yeah. it's yeah. just uh, he's straight to the point, man. Him and his brother both.
0: So, yeah, that's a that's a good point. And um, I would like to see the matchup. I, I think even though Diaz is not ranked nearly as high, he's kind of being more carried by his name at this point. He still has a ton of talent. I mean, look at what he did to Anthony Pettis not too long ago. Yeah, uh, He did get beat up by Mosby, all, but that was, again, that was at welterweight. Um, he is a much more natural lightweight. Diaz is, I would say.
1: Oh, and I agree. I, sorry. I, I, again, I, I can't see no. you, so I didn't know if you were. No, you're good. <laughs>
0: I'd like to see the matchup, but I'm just not very confident it'll happen. But it was still very interesting to see the back and forth go on for as long as it did.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: What a rub for Dan Hooker there for a guy who's really still trying to make a name for himself to get to a little Twitter beef with Nate Diaz.
1: Right, exactly. in a respectful beef. That doesn't happen yeah. often with a guy like Nate Diaz. So it was it was no, definitely it cool.
0: Yep, And we're going to end today's news segment with, we talked about it, a little bit earlier um it appears that connor and dustin connor mcgregor and dustin poirier have verbally agreed to i'm imagining a main event slot for january 23rd but yeah there's always a but
1: with connor huh
0: connor's tweet accepting the fight uh said he he wants to seek that this fight take place at cowboy stadium and so that all his fans can be there to watch
1: yeah um we're still in a pandemic here (laughs) (laughs) um we're talking cowboy stadium holds 100,000 plus people now i don't know if he's wanting to you know obviously even in january i can only imagine that restrictions will still be in place with fans so this very well could be the first ufc fight back with fans but i still don't foresee 100,000 people. So I don't know if he's just hinting at like, well, you know, we can have half capacity, which is still 50,000 people, which is still an insane amount of people for an MMA fight. I don't really know what he's angling at, but he went to Cowboy Stadium last year, met Jerry Jones, was there pregame, throwing footballs with the Dallas Cowboys and all kinds of crazy shit. Only Conor McGregor does. Um, So I like that he wants to do it will it happen i'm kind of leaning big time toward no um but again i guess it all just kind of comes down to fans are going to be allowed and if so what state can they be in and all this other intangible stuff so i just want to see the fight i don't care if there's zero people there i just want to see the fight
0: yeah i i agree with you it's it's nice to see that we're 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 kind of it seems like it's building some momentum you know I was not very confident at all that this fight was going to actually happen It just it's hard to be that confident with Connor and is involved but he literally I mean he literally tweeted that he accepted it now Dustin made it clear that even though he verbally accepted it that there no contract has been given to him right so there's still a lot of um hurdles i guess that need to be jumped over before we are officially there but it is nice to see that both men have publicly said that they have accepted the fight exactly that is That feels like we're 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 gaining traction
1: baby steps right one step at a time one foot in front of the other
0: yeah so i'm i'm very curious to see kind of what what happens next where we go from here you know it just it, inevitably there'll be some drama there'll be some highs some lows but hopefully by the end of the shit storm that is a conor mcgregor negotiation we get to see conor mcgregor back in the octagon against dustin poirier for a second time exactly so any other final thoughts on that
1: that's the news, my friend.
0: That is the end of the news. The news. And it's time.
1: Yeah, don't leave. Has- don't leave. We got, a, we got a preview show, and it's <laughs> a great preview show. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, look at that damn poster. Ooh. This is one of my favorites we've done so far, my friend.
0: Oh, for sure. Hashtag UFC Fight Island 6. Yes, sir. Correct? Yes, sir. So, just to break down the main card, the fights we're going to be talking about here, we're going to be starting at featherweight with Thomas Almeida versus Jonathan Martinez. Then we go up to welterweight as Claudio Silva takes on James Krause. Third fight, light heavyweight action as Jimmy crook goes up against Modesta's Bukoskis.
1: Very nice. I
0: believe, I I, th- I think it's Bukoskis, Bukoskis.
1: It's all about the confidence.
0: Well, I think it's Pekoskus. Then, <laughs> our co-main event, our one women's fight on this main card, is at flyweight, as Caitlin Chukagian, the number one contender right now, going up against the debuting in the in this division, former women's strawweight champion Jessica Andrade.
1: Oh, I love that one! I'm ready yeah. for that. one. So
0: interested in that, but. Y'all know what we you know y'all know why you're here. Yeah. Our main event at Featherweight, it's T City versus the Korean zombie.
1: That's enough said.
0: All right, let's go home.
1: <laughs> See you guys.
0: <laughs> yep. So Brian Ortega versus Chan Sung jung, the Korean zombie that finish off the night. Oof. Two my two favorite fighters in the whole division. My heart hurts, but I'm so excited at the same time. Yes. Now, we're going to go back down. We're going to start Thomas Almeida versus Jonathan Martinez. Dom, you know what to do.
1: It's time for the nitty-gritty, my friend. Thomas Almeida, Jonathan Martinez, men's featherweight action. Thomas Almeida is 21-3, and 17 KOTKOs, three submissions. That's 20 out of 21. (laughs) Close enough to 100%. He's five and three in the UFC. Uh, notable win coming against Brad Pickett via KO. And all three of those losses are very notable. Uh, coming to our good friend Cody No Love Garbrand via KO. Then goes on to lose to Jimmy Rivera, our other good friend, via unanimous decision. And then his most recent loss was to Rob Font, also via TKO. Jonathan Martinez on the other side of the octagon is 12-3, and 3, 7 KOTKOs, 2 submissions. He's 3-2 and 2 in the UFC, and a notable loss to Andre Sukumtoth. I think that's how you say his last name. And that's another good friend, because yeah, he once ooh. followed me on Twitter back in the day. Or Instagram, actually. So yeah, a but lot of friendly you. faces here, Noah, in the notable wins and losses category.
0: Well, is Sukumthoth really a friendly face? Because he unfollowed you after. Um...
1: Okay, so the prediction. Uh, (laughs) This is a a really good fight, I think, on paper. I'm really, I'm just going to kind of be straight up here. I'm leaning toward Almeida, most notably because of the amount of competition and the amount of fights he's had, the true veteran of the game. I think we do see a very good fight, and I'm actually going to go with Almeida via decision. I think we see... A very good fight, but not my fight of the night because that's going to come a little later. But I've got Mr. Thomas Almeida via unanimous or just decision in general over Jonathan Martinez to start the night off.
0: Nice. Um, I'll just say real quickly for Thomas Almeida, at one time, you know, kind of right before I started watching, as I do, he was one of the biggest prospects in the entire promotion.
1: Yeah. He was, 20, uh, he was undefeated coming into the UFC.
0: I mean, I'm pretty sure if you go back and look at the odds for him versus Garbrandt, I believe he was favored in that matchup.
1: Yeah, that was the first real big win that really put Cody on the map.
0: Yeah. And look, Thomas started out 20-0, and 0, has since went 1-3, hasn't fought since 2018, the beginning of 2018 as well. So we're nearing a three-year hiatus here. That's tough, man.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, ring rust, again, I think it is a thing. It's a matter of what fighter it is, you know. So were they active enough, training enough to where ring rust doesn't affect them? And if it is, you know, maybe it's just a mental ring rust rather than a physical, you know. You just never know. It depends on uh, who the fighter is and just a bunch of other factors that come into play.
0: Right. So for Jonathan Martinez, he's 26 years old, very young kid, 5'7, 70 inch reach. Almeida is still a pretty young guy. He's only 29. He's also 5'7 with also a 70 inch reach. I have a hard time going with decision either way here because Almeida's only got the one decision in his, or two decisions, I should say, in his entire career. He's won one and lost one and knows. For Martinez, I believe he's only went to uh, he's went to five decisions, so a little bit more, three and two in those fights. Um, you know, I, I actually think I might go the other way here. I think I'm going to go with Jonathan Martinez. I'm, I think I'm out on Thomas Almeida. I, I was a I was a believer in him for a while. His losses are all to top level competition, and I don't want to overlook that. However, I think a three-year hiatus, considering that it appeared, even in his last two losses, that he had lost a lot of confidence from the Cody Garbrandt fight. Mm -hmm. Like that killer instinct seemed to be kind of gone. I guess I just am not sure that a three-year hiatus is going to all of a sudden change that. And those are a lot of what-ifs. I completely could see him coming in here and knocking him out, knocking out Jonathan Martinez in the first round. But Martinez has proven to be a durable, tough guy. His three, two of his three losses being by decision, the third one being a DQ with an illegal knee loss. So never been finished. A guy who nine of his 12 wins by finish, I'm ultimately going to go Jonathan Martinez by decision. Okay, But I understand that... um, Thomas Almeida could be making a a big case here to be back for good, but I want to, I got to see it before I believe it in this case.
1: I feel you. I feel you.
0: Yeah. So with that, we'll move on to our second fight. Claudio Silva versus James Krause. Take it away.
1: Yeah. So Claudio is 14 and one, but really should be 14 and oh, he kind of has that John Jones loss on his record. Um, he had a disqualification. I believe it was also illegal elbows. I could be wrong, but it was yep, some sort of... It was. Okay, so basically just like John Jones. So technically he's 14-1, but never been beaten. Uh, 2 KO TKO's, 9 submissions, so 11 out of 14 via finish. He's 5-0 in the UFC. He's on a 14-fight win streak. Notable wins, Leon Rocky Ed- Edwards via split decision. and also beat Danny Roberts via submission he is the very last person to beat Leon Edwards ever since Leon Edwards is on an 8 fight win streak and hasn't lost in 4 years on the other end James Krause, the crafty vet 8 KO TKO's 14 submissions 22 out of 27 via finish 8 and 4 in the UFC also 2 and 1 on the ultimate fighter so I kind of had to split those up a little bit because there was a lot of stuff going on looking at the record Uh, Notable wins against Sam Stout via submission and Tom Galecchio via unanimous decision. Notable losses coming to King. Bobby Green, our guy. We like to talk about Bobby Green. That was via KO. Um, He lost to Jorge Gamebred Masvidal back in the day via unanimous decision. And then most recently took a fight on short notice and went to war with Trevin Giles and lost a split decision that was very close and some would say even controversial, including Dana White in his If You Don't Know Now You Know segment. This is my fight of the night. I don't know how you feel about this one. Let me hear it.
0: Um, First, I just want to offer a couple more notable losses for James Krause. He had a couple at WEC. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, Cowboy Cerrone and Ricardo Lamas. (laughs) So Glad you added name. to it. Yeah, and actually, I think another, yeah, he has a notable win back in 2008 over a young Michael Johnson.
1: My goodness, you did some digging. I love it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's so, I, so we're talking a guy that used to fight it lightweight, it looks like. I mean, with losses uh, to Bobby Green, unless he fought up potentially, I'm not exactly sure what weight classes they happened at.
0: Well, from what I'm reading, he had a lot of catchweight fights at like 160 pounds, 165 pounds. Gotcha. Um, so he was kind of in that in between. Now I'm not sure if he was fighting at lightweight. It it looks like he might have been fighting at lightweight during those like early UFC fights for him. But this one again is that welterweight, correct?
1: What was that? I'm sorry.
0: Uh, this fight's at welterweight, correct?
1: Yes, this one's going to be at welterweight. His last one, he took short notice and fought up a weight class at middleweight. So I think at yeah. welterweight, Kraus is actually on a six-fight win streak. So definitely his um, his natural yeah, weight class.
0: Dana, t- Dana talked up uh, old Claudio Silva quite a bit in that little segment he had that he posted.
1: Yeah, he really did.
0: Um, I can see why. But I will say that the fact that the guy's 38 did kind of, like, give me a negative reaction, and maybe it shouldn't. But I was a little bit hesitant to be commit to him because at first I thought he was going to be the younger guy. Because I'm, I'm just going to be honest, I, I'm not very familiar with Claudio Silva. Right. While James Krause is 27-8, and eight, a proven veteran. Yeah.
1: A guy that's always but, down to fight whoever.
0: But, man... Claudio Silva last fought August 2019, so he's not fought over a year. James Krause fought on the last pay-per-view that we had, and actually that's not true. He fought on UFC 247 back in February, so not the last card we got before COVID, but uh, right at the end there, so he's been more active. But, oh man, this is a, this is a tough one to... Because really, you got two guys who finish the fight, but in primarily different ways.
1: Yeah, this is very um, hard stylistically, and I think this is going to be a war for three rounds. And I, I'm, I'm, I know you're still kind of struggling. I'll let you think a second longer. I'm going to come yeah. out. I'm. I gotta go. I know they're both veterans. But James has that experience, the the willingness to step up anytime, anywhere. Now he's got a camp behind him here. I'm going James Krause. A great fight, but he gets a third round finish via submission.
0: Mm. I like it. I like the pick. I think I'm also I think this time I'm also gonna go the other way. I think I am gonna go with Claudia. Silva. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in Dana White on this one. He really talked up Claudio quite a bit. As for the um, how this fight will end, I, I think it's only fair to go to decision here. That's tough to say because Claudio finished his fights, but James Krause is uh, also a durable guy, so I think we're going to have back-to-back decisions to start off the night. Um, I'm going to go with Claudio Silva to continue being basically undefeated but I think it could be a very close fight as well maybe, just maybe even a controversial decision so.
1: do you foresee a battle or kind of each having their ups and downs but mm-hmm. Claudio overall um, controlling the fight
0: I see a lot of I'm foreseeing uh, clinch heavy and gr- a lot of groundwork. gotcha not saying that that like, won't be good or exciting, but I don't quite see it as like a war. I could be wrong. Krauss, since I know a little bit more about him, has shown much more diversity in his fighting style. But Claudio, being a primarily submission guy, has to, all, his last three wins, all by submission. So I think he's going to be looking to get this fight to the ground. Um, that seems to be where his bread and butter is. We'll see if he'll be able to do it. That's where the clinch is going to come in. I, I, I'm not saying I think it'll be a good fight, but ultimately not my fight of the night pick. So. All righty. Now we move on to light heavyweight, a guy I'm very big on, Jimmy the Brute Crew, going up against Modestas Bukoskis.
1: Yes, and like you said, back. we've got some light heavyweight action here. Jimmy Crute is 11-1, 4 KO TKOs, 4 submissions, 3-1 in the UFC. Notable wins against Paul Craig in his UFC debut, if I'm not mistaken, which was via submission. Also defeating Sam Alvey via TKO. His only loss of his professional career came to Misha Serkonov via submission. Um, on the other end, Modestus is 11 and two, eight KOTKOs, two submissions, so 10 out of 11 via finish, one and 0 in the UFC. No notable losses in my opinion, no notable wins. However, a very talented guy. This is a very well put together matchup in my opinion. A challenge for both. I think this is also another great fight. Again, this is that perfect fight night where we see not the biggest the names. But a lot of very good potential stylistically. This is a tough one for me, but I'm kind of leaning with you here and towards of the the hype toward Jimmy Croot. So I'm also gonna go Jimmy Croot here, or I guess you haven't said yet. I'm assuming, but I'm gonna go Jimmy (laughs) Croot. I think we see a battle, and I think we see a finish. I'm going a second round KOTKO for Jimmy the Brute.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's the same pick I'm going to have there Jimmy Crew by second round you said TKO KO correct yep yep that's what I'm going to go with uh, ultimately when I'm looking at Modesto's, he's got a very impressive resume 10 of his 11 uh, wins coming by first round finish just saying that's that's quite the accomplishment there Or I guess it, I guess it would be nine out of his 10 finishes by first round finish Um, regardless pretty big no matter what level of competition it is he spent his last fight was in the UFC but before that he was fighting at cage warriors so that's a big one for up-and-coming talent finishing guys there but Jimmy Crute man I think he's proved it more sure he's got that loss to Misha Circon but that's a top 10 light heavyweight
1: oh yeah exactly
0: Uh, Jimmy Crute's got that very tough to deal with style that you've seen work for guys like will be covington where they're very much a grind it take the pressure to you type guy but crew even has the power in his hands to finish it on the feet so i think that's ultimately how he's going to get the job done i think he'll wear down uh, modesta's for a round or so second round eventually is able to find the opening maybe in the clinch and get a be able to finish it via strike so that's how i see it going
1: i like it i like it a lot. i also
0: think i also think that has the potential to be a great fight yeah, hundred percent styles, style clash right there. I like it. Yes. Now, co-main event. These are our two biggest fights tonight, obviously. And we start with the women's action: Caitlin Chukey and Jessica Andrade. I'm a big Jessica Andrade fan, Dom. But is she going to be able to get it done here?
1: This is a huge fight for the women's flyweight division. Caitlin, the number one contender, fought Valentina, lost, came back, beat her sister. Andrade, on the other hand, Bennett women's bantamweight was successful there. Bennett women's strawweight became the champ there. Now she's meeting right in the middle. This is her debut, and she's got a tall task ahead. Quite literally, by the way. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian yeah. yep. is 14 and three, two KO TKOs, one submission, so three finishes, 11 decisions. Yeah, but that's all right. She's a very talented fighter. Not taking anything away from her. 7-3 and three in the UFC, notable wins coming against Lauren Murphy, unanimous decision. Irene Aldana, who we just meant, uh, talked about a couple weeks ago, via split decision. Alexis Davis, unanimous decision. Joanne Calderwood, unanimous decision. Jennifer Maya, unanimous decision, who is fighting Valentina next for the title. And then, like I mentioned most recently, coming off of her loss to Valentina, fights Valentina's sister Antonina and quite literally dominates her through and through for three rounds and yeah. gets the unanimous yes, decision does. victory there. Uh, she's got notable losses to Liz Carmouche via split decision, Jessica I via split decision, and then, of course, her loss to Valentina, which was a TKO uh, via ground and pound. On the other end, Jessica Andrade has been there and done it all. She's 20 and 8 with seven KO TKOs, seven submissions. overall in the UFC. Notable wins against uh, Raquel Pennington via split decision. Jessica Panay via TKO. JoJo, Joanne Calderwood via submission that we were so lucky to see in person and see my (laughs) UFC expertise get put in the dirt that evening. Um, Angela Hill via unanimous decision. Claudia Gadella, unanimous decision. Tisha Torres, unanimous decision. Brutal. KO of Karolina Kovalkiewicz.
0: Shout out Karolina, by the way. Just got married a few days ago. One of the most brutal women's knockouts you will see.
1: Yes, this is factual. And then um, the brutal KO via slam against Miss Rose M. That was brutal. And that was, of course, how Jessica became the strawweight champion of the world. Notable losses for Jessica... Actually, have a fun one here. Did some digging, quite similar to you earlier. Lost to Jennifer Maya back in 2012 at the Samurai Fight Combat. So I had to point that out again because Jennifer is fighting for the title next against Valentina. Um, she's also lost to Liz Carmouche via TKO, Raquel Pennington via submission, Joanna Jędrzejczyk in her first title fight, um, or Jessica's first title fight, I should say, via unanimous decision. Wei Li via TKO, which is what lost the belt for Jessica and started the queen Wei Li's reign as strawweight champion. And then most recently had that battle in the rematch with Rose, fight of the night, and ultimately lost a split decision there. I got to take a drink because that was a lot of talking. Noah, give me your thoughts.
0: I love Jessica Andrade. I think she's just a very exciting fighter to watch. Um, just, uh, I just think that she's just such a brute. It's just so much different than what you normally see with women's fighters. And especially for her to do it at the level she does it, I should say. But this is a tall task, quite literally, for her. Yes. Because Jessica Andrade, just for comparing here, is five, one and a half. With a 62-inch reach, Caitlin Chukagian is listed at 5'9 with a 68-inch reach. Yes. That is nearly 8 inches of height and 6 inches of reach that Jessica is giving up in this matchup. I legitimately think this might be the toughest matchup for Andrade in this division, and I think that's why I'm ultimately going to go with Chukagian by decision. I don't take it lightly. I'm going to be rooting for Androj. No disrespect to Caitlin, but I'm a big Androj stand. So I got to root for my girl there. However, I think the reach advantage is going to be too much. And not that height really uh, plays too much of a part. But I think that basically you're going to see Caitlin keep her at distance. I think Jessica might struggle to be able to get inside. That's going to be the... The, back of the constant battle is trying to keep Andrade on the outside and Andrade trying to find ways to slip in. I don't see it happening for her. I think it'll be a pretty clear-cut decision for Chukagian. Disappointing start for Andrade at Flyweight, but I don't think she'll be quite done there, especially once uh, it's been rumored that Chukagian, um, or not rumored, she said in the media scrum that She might be retiring soon.
1: Yeah, she's kind of taking it fight by fight. She's um, ready to start a family, and she thinks that once it's time for her to become a mother, she's ready to hang up the gloves. So, you know, it could be her last fight. She could have three more. We don't know. Um, I'm actually leaning exactly like you were with the outcome of this fight. I just think that the length, the height, the reach, um, and the skill ultimately that Caitlyn possesses is going to be too much for Jessica to be able to close that distance um, and make that fight a brawl like we know Jessica wants it to be. And I think even if this fight were to go to the ground, like I wouldn't be surprised if Caitlyn tries to get this fight to the ground and go for a finish. I think she wants to prove she's ready to get back in there with Valentina. Um, Valentina, of course, the queen of that division, looks unbeatable uh, at this weight class. I'm going with a decision victory for Caitlin as well. I'm not doubting that Jessica can win. I'm very excited to see what she looks like at this weight class. Again, she's fought at women's bantamweight and strawweight. Now she's right in the middle. Um, so it's a very fun fight, a very fun stylistic matchup. But again, going with you here, Noah, a Caitlyn again decision victory. Potentially even very decisive but it could be a close one as well. We'll see what happens on Saturday.
0: I foresee this being probably the dullest fight of the night. Not to, like, I I don't usually like to predict those kind of things because, you know, I like to think positively more so. I think it'll be a clear-cut decision for Chukagian. I just think it's going to be very much a a standstill. That's how I foresee it. Just to paint the picture better, you know I like to do that
1: yes a big big painting the picture fella
0: (laughs) yeah and with that we're here at the main event
1: i i can't do this
0: now dom you have said you said you're like i don't know what i'm gonna do predicting this fight you've had a lot of time we've been talking for a while do you feel a little bit more comfortable in your decision
1: not one bit no No, not one bit. (laughs) I I know you were hoping for me to say yes, but I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with the listeners. I don't have a damn clue who I'm picking to win this fight, but I am going to get into the nitty gritty, and hopefully by me talking, I get something into my head for a prediction. So there you go. T City, Korean Zombie, number two ranked featherweight versus number four, number one contender fight. Who is going to fight Alex Volkanovsky for the belt next? Brian T. City is 14-1, three KO-TKOs, seven submissions. He's 6-1-1 one, one in the UFC, or I guess 6-1 one with one no contest, not a draw. He has a no contest. Uh, notable wins against Diego Brandao via submission. Clay Guida via KO. Hinato Moicano via submission. Cub Swanson via submission. And became the first ever man to K-O, or actually just stop Frankie Edgar in general. But my God, he made Frankie's body levitate in the air with an uppercut. Wooey! It was the featherweight yeah. version of Ngannou versus Alistair Overeem.
0: Yeah, it was an uppercut from hell. Yes.
1: Um, and only one loss on the resume, and that, in fact, is very notable because it came to the featherweight GOAT, Max Bless Holloway, a TKO via Dr. Stoppage. That came in the fifth round, right? Or going into the, the fifth in, round, it was
0: the end. Of, yeah, it was the end of the fourth. So like the fifth round hadn't started yet.
1: Right, um, and then for Korean Zombie, he's sixteen and five, six K.O. T.K.Os, eight submissions, fourteen out of sixteen via finish. He's six and two in the UFC. Notable wins against Dustin the Diamond Poirier back in the day, via submission. Dennis Bermudez via K.O. and Nato via T.K.O. And then most recently, a TKO of Frankie Edgar, which ultimately kind of sent Frankie down to uh, bantamweight. I think yep. that was Frankie's last fight at featherweight. So It
0: was. Yeah. It was.
1: And then notable losses for Korean Zombie, both of his losses in the UFC. A TKO way back when to Jose Aldo when he was still the king of the division. And then Yair Rodriguez in what is also one of the most incredible knockouts you will ever see. In an absolute slugfest of a main event between him and Yair. A fight that Korean Zombie was literally less than a second away from getting a decision victory. But then all of a sudden, Yair dips his head down. Throws an up... I don't even know what I'm doing here with my body. An elbow. Throws an elbow from from a position that you've never seen before. Something we've never seen in the UFC and KO'd Zombie, face-planted him on the mat. And I just said all that and still have no idea who I'm picking, so no, I'm going to let you give your thoughts here. Uh,
0: these are my two favorite guys in the division, <laughs> just to be blunt. Um, they I mean, I love Max Holloway. Don't get me wrong. There's other guys, but these two guys I've been big fans of for a long time. Um, not that not that I'm unique in that regard. They're very popular fighters. Korean Zombie has that like cult following to him, almost. Yeah. Like, I am I love both these guys. They both are two of the top five guys in that division. I believe so, even with Ortega taking the two-year or so hiatus. You know, I, that's the biggest question for me, though. You know, Ortega switched up his entire camp for this fight. It's the first time we're seeing him since that devastating loss to Max Holloway which was for the title. A title shot he had earned, by the way. While for Korean Zombie, we haven't seen him since the end of 2019, um, but he has been more active, you know, since coming back from his required military service. I'm just going to be honest. I think this is my fight of the night. I think that it's not going to go to distance, however. I believe that it is the Korean Zombies' time to reach the top of the mountain. And Brian will have his moments. I think Ortega is going to put up a great fight, even a, be- a better fight than he did, even against Max Holloway. But Korean Zombie will ultimately finish this fight in the fifth round via tko slash ko
1: yes yeah, so um i'm gonna do something i don't really do and i don't know if i've done this on an episode but i am gonna change my pick from fight of the night because i just this fight is insane this is again that beautiful chaos that we love to talk about so much and both these guys are so insanely talented in all aspects of mixed martial arts and I do think that as this fight goes on, it favors Zombie. And that's because Brian, and again, this was two years ago, it was against one of the best strikers in the featherweight division, probably the best, in Max Holloway, but he takes damage. And Korean Zombie can sure give out a hell of a lot of damage, Noah. And I think it's going to take its toll. Again, I you predicted perfectly where I think Ortega will have his moments, maybe even have some grappling in this fight, which I think would be very interesting to see. But I think most of it stays on the feet. And if it's on the feet, again we haven't seen Ortega in two years, but from what I've seen most recently out of both, Ortega has the advantage in the striking. And I have from...
0: Oh wait, you met Zombie you met Zombie has the advantage in the striking, right? Yes,
1: yes. Sorry. Thank you for
0: catching no. that. Yeah, just wanted to get that. No, I ahead. get
1: going on these tangents here, and I'm just, like, laser-focused <laughs> in. I'm looking at this poster in front of me, and I'm getting mesmerized by the colors. Yeah. Um, I have Korean Zombie getting the ko in the fourth round, my friend. But I nice. think it plays out almost exactly how you predicted. I couldn't really agree more. Will I be surprised if Ortega wins this fight? Not one bit. Nope. This is one of those fights where both guys can win the fight via KO, TKO, via submission, via decision. It doesn't matter. Both guys have equally the same chance to win, and it is so hard to predict this fight, man. But as of right now, at this moment when we're recording, that's what I'm going with. And for now, I'm not going to change it. Saturday night, I might yeah. change it, but right now, on the podcast... This is what you guys got. Uh,
0: This is, I'm going to give a bold take here. This fight will be the biggest contender for fight of the year against the obvious fight of the year in Joanna and Wei Lee.
1: Even better than Hooker Poirier.
0: Yep. Because I think it's going to be nonstop till the end. Yeah. Not that Poirier-Hooker wasn't, but you know what I mean.
1: I, I this is definitely my opinion. think... This, will be,
0: this is a fight of the year contender. That's my prediction. I believe this will end up being in that fight of the year race. Yeah. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But have I been wrong yet? Well, um, um, yes, I've been wrong oh, a Yeah, lot. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to let you of, finish thought,
1: that for yourself.
0: <laughs> I thought Paulo Costa was going to be the dominant middleweight champion, so...
1: Yeah, and then he got humped in the octagon. Yes, he did. Um, yeah, I agree, man. This could be quite the fight. Um, this could be right up there with Fight of the Night Contenders. It's so hard. Or Fight of the Year, I'm sorry. Uh, with Joanna and Wei because that fight was so incredible. Um, but this has all the potential in the world to be top three. If not, maybe it, we should, it shocks the world and they get number one. But this fight is so incredible. I... Have not been this excited for a fight night headliner, probably since we've started the podcast, to be honest. This is such an amazing fight, again, over a year in the making, and it's one of the biggest fights that we've seen in 2020 in terms of the importance of it. And again, to be finishing off Fight Island, this is the last fight until we get to Habib Gaethje, and it's just like, it couldn't be more perfect to segue us into that pay-per-view.
0: I completely agree. I, I'm, and you're right. This is probably the biggest headliner we've had so far in doing this. Yeah. But yeah, that we're cl- That's it.
1: That that's it. That is UFC Fight Island Six this Saturday night. ESPN Plus prelims at four p.m. Main card starts at seven p.m. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to miss. This card, it's going to be a banger.
0: You do not. And I do just want to give a little shout. Um, obviously, we'll be releasing this on Friday. Tonight, Bellator has a pretty big card with headline by Chris Cyborg. Um, so that's why we didn't talk about it here, even though you're watching this or listening to this after it's happened. Right. Um, but we'll be talking about that on Monday. Bellator also has a card on Saturday. Um, so be. Be on the lookout for that if you're willing wanting to get more more into the, the the wacky world of MMA.
1: Yeah, making their debut on CBS Sports Network, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a big news for them. A great time for MMA as a whole.
0: Yep. But our next couple episodes here, Monday, we're obviously going to be recapping uh, all of the action that happens on Saturday from these fights. Um, we'll also touch on. Cyborgs fight and anything else that may happen over those two Bellator cards. So we'll give y'all the details. We'll talk give y'all our thoughts on who inevitably wins the main event. But Wednesday, this episode's gonna be a little extra special.
1: Just a little bit, I must say.
0: Um basically me and Dom are just gonna talk about our MMA hot takes.
1: We're just gonna kinda cut the breeze.
0: Y'all know what a hot take is. You know, it is what it is.
1: And for those that don't know me, and for those that do know me, I'm known to have very, very hot takes when it comes to all things sports. Sometimes even boiling hot, touch your hand on it, you're going to get a third-degree burn-type hot. And Noah's been a, been known to roast me for those. But I eat them, you know? it's It's all right, and I'm excited <laughs> to really get into this this again could be a very fun episode where we're just gonna really just talk until there ain't no more talking to do
0: that's that's the way i look at it it's not going to be really a list format i think we're just going to kind of speak as they come to our mind obviously we'll write them out ahead of time but probably just talk for about an hour and a half or so about what our hot takes are and i think this is a lot of fun just a chance for us to share some thoughts for you guys to roast us for or agree with us on but it's inevitably going to be opinions that are not shared by the majority of the community so or at
1: least that we think you know we may have yeah. we may have some people that are like oh wow i actually agree with this so that's what i'm i'm really excited to see kind of where people are at with uh, our opinions there it's going to be fun yeah
0: completely agree but that's our next couple episodes so dom tell the people where they can find you on social media
1: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at dsalee14, and you can find our Below Average Joe's MMA podcast on Twitter and Instagram at B-A-J. Again, that's Below Average Joe's abbreviated, so B-A-J underscore MMA podcast.
0: And as for me, if you go to my Twitter or Instagram right now in the bio section you will see a link that'll take you directly to our link tree there. You will be have links to every platform and social media that we're on. So it could take you to our Twitter, our Instagram, our YouTube channel, our anchor page, along with Spotify, Apple, Google podcasts. And there's a link on there. If you want to become a contributor to the podcast and don't, and basically, uh, donating a few dollars a month, um, all that money goes back into just helping the podcast, um, when we want to do things like perhaps do a video podcast or um, some other improving the audio equipment. There's a wealth of options we can use that money for, but just an option for those of you that really want to help us grow this channel. Uh, We appreciate any amount of support, even if it's as simple as checking out a couple videos, maybe sharing it once or twice. Hey, it's all love, man. It's all gravy. But, again, you can find that. I guess I should say what my Twitter and Instagram is. That
1: would help them, know well, yeah. I guess.
0: <laughs> that is at N.T. Baker underscore. Again, that's at N.T. Baker underscore. But with that, we're out. And we're going to see you all on.